Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends of Christ, our text begins with the return of the apostles. Jesus had sent them out two by two back in verse 7 of chapter 6. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. But Mark wants to convey more than just exorcisms and excitement. And so between the going and the coming, he relates the final demise of the Baptist at the hands of Herod and the whim of Herodias. This little sandwich story stuck in between the goings and the coming casts an interpretive light on the ministry of the Twelve and Jesus. James Vels explains, martyrdom stocks those involved in proclaiming and spreading the reign and rule of God, including Jesus and his followers. Close quote. And now they return, excited and exhausted. And Jesus says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Michael Ramsden speaks of a colleague in Asia who challenged an audience to close their eyes and imagine peace. After a few seconds, he invited them to share their mental pictures of peace. One described a field with flowers and trees, another smoke of snow-capped mountains, and an incredible alpine landscape. Still another picture at a glassy, still lake at dawn with the steam rising. After everyone described their mental picture of peace, there was one thing common in all of them. No people. <laughs> Ramsden comments, isn't it interesting when asked to imagine peace, the first thing we eliminate is everyone else. Well, a funny thing happened on the way to the retreat, to the lake, the beach, the mountains, or in the case of Jesus and the Twelve, to a spot a little distance down the shoreline of Galilee. The people on foot got there first. Mark writes, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Perhaps the place was known to them. Maybe Jesus' routine of withdrawing to prayer after or before teaching had grown predictable. Whatever the reasons... There they were. Jesus got out of the boat. They were standing there. So what did Jesus do? What did Jesus see? He saw their needs. He saw their real needs. We, you and I, often lack that capacity. Most of our interactions with people are set in the busyness of the moment, on the job, working with colleagues to meet the deadlines and expectations of those who are in charge, at home, wrangling the kids to get them dressed and loaded and off to swimming or dance or class or whatever it happens to be next on the agenda. Or at the store, queuing up to check out or asking questions. In any, if not on all of these, often we only see the surface needs, what it's going to take to get her done. But the real needs, the needs of the heart, the needs of the soul, that lie hidden beneath all that busyness go undetected. Spiritual wounds and open sores, conflicts in the home, husband and wife not seeing things eye to eye, a sick child, an aging parent, conflicts at church, an insensitive comment, an attitude we imagine in someone else's heart. Oh, how often we miss Luther's explanation of the Eighth Commandment. 
to put the best construction on everything. Those needs, those deep, spiritual, heartfelt needs, often go undetected, unseen, unaddressed. Not so with Jesus. Verse 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Biblical images flood our imaginations of sheep and shepherding. David, the shepherd boy who penned our beloved 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. Or Jesus' parable of the lost sheep and the gracious, even foolhardy shepherd who leaves the 90 and 9 out there on the mountain and goes looking for that one. Most of your English Bibles at this point will cross-reference you over to Numbers 27. There God has sent Moses up this mountain of Abiram, and there he will see all of the promised land. And there he will be gathered to his fathers, like his brother Aaron who died. And Moses pleads with God there on the mountain. He pleads for him to appoint a man to lead the people, lest they be like sheep without a shepherd. The same language is in 1 Kings 22, where it's a sheep without a shepherd is a prophecy concerning the death of King Ahab. But I think the most interesting of all the sheep and shepherding images in the Bible is Exodus 34. Exodus, or excuse me, Ezekiel 34. And there Yahweh himself claims that I will be their shepherd. He will seek them out, verses 11 and 12. He will feed them on a rich pasture. Verses 13 and 14. The parallels to our text are really compelling. There's a powerful connection that suggests the reign and rule of God is at hand in Jesus as he fulfills that very prophecy of Ezekiel. We return to Mark. And he had compassion on them. Compassion is that splagnitza word, right? That gut-wrenching, rolling over in your pit of your stomach response that we've seen in Mark's account before and we will again. Mark 1, and a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. Or Mark chapter 8, I have compassion on the people, Jesus says, because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. That's the lead into the feeding of the 4,000. But this time the feeding is among Gentiles and not Jews. Or Mark 9, the father of a demon-possessed boy cries out, If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help. If I can, Jesus replies, all things are possible to him who believes. I do believe. Help my unbelief. As his children, we need to have this gut-wrenching awareness. But it's a challenge of discernment in our age. Great need can be found on every hand. Homelessness, poverty, broken families, some of it mingled and tinged with attitudes of entitlement and dependence. So we pray for clarity. Clarity to properly regard real needs and real help that we can offer individually and corporately. The mission statement of this church reads, Redeemer extends the mercy of the Father. That mercy is both physical and spiritual. That compassion, that gut-revolving reaction to need when we see it, is really cultivated by the cross. In our sermon hymn, we sang, Christ the shepherd, tending, caring, in his death our ransom paid. 
with the Spirit's power endue us, servants of your saving name. Compassion is a mark of our Savior. It's also a mark of his church. And Christ's compassion compels him to satisfy their spiritual needs. Verse 34, and he began to teach them many things. Mark does not enumerate the content of Jesus' teaching here, but it's a key theme in his gospel. Spreading of the word by proclamation, especially by teaching, that is central to the coming of the reign and rule of God in and through Jesus. Here he spends all day at it. And after a late hour had come, only then do the disciples interrupt him. God's people need to hear the voice of their shepherd. We continue to be led beside still waters, to borrow David's imagery. We're taught each time the word is read. His spirit enters into each one of us with the word proclaimed. We're satisfied with bread and wine, his body and blood, a spiritual manifestation of the reign of God. But the greatest and mightiest act of compassion was Jesus' death and resurrection. To have shepherded his flock through the dangers of life only to abandon him at the end? That was unthinkable. When the debt of sin, my sin and your sin, was foreclosed to not be found there? Impossible. The good shepherd did lay down his life for the sheep. You are redeemed in Christ. And in his resurrection, you too will rise. As the hymn writer puts it, Love divine, all love excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling. All your faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion. Pure, unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation. Enter every trembling heart. Our souls rest in the wounded hands of our good shepherd. But Christ's compassion also compels him to satisfy their physical needs. I mentioned that, that late hour earlier. Often when I read the story, I wondered, who got hungry first? Was it the disciples who supposedly had come for some R&R? Come on, let's get moving. Let's keep it going. Or was it the people who ran together, apparently with no thought for provisions? Either way, there are numerous parallels to the wilderness experience in Exodus. The people come to a desolate, to a desert place on foot. And in that desolate place, God feeds them by miraculous means, and there he teaches them. But the learning doesn't always come easy, does it? We should note the testy exchange between Jesus and the Twelve. Much of that's hidden in the grammar of the Greek, and our ESV does a great job of smoothing things over. But read that exchange with a little bit of an attitude. What? Go spend eight months' wages for bread? Would that even be enough for this crowd? We all get cranky when we're tired and hungry. The same goes for all of our needs, not just bread and fish. Go! That's Jesus' immediately quick response. Go and see what you have. Count what God has provided. It's an attitude that's central to our confessions. It needs to be central to our lives. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animal, and all that I need he richly and daily provides. Small catechism, first article. It needs to be part of our way of living. So God provides what? Five loaves and two fish. Doesn't sound like much. But as the bulletin cover suggests, 
Having taken the five loaves and the two fish, having lifted up his eyes to the sky, he spoke a blessing and broke the bread and began giving it to the disciples in order they might continue setting it out before the people. And the two fish he divided for all. They were enough. There's a tremendous lesson for us here. God's provision is always sufficient for his purposes. Not always according to our agenda, but God works his will in mysterious ways. For our part, let us pray with St. Paul. Not that I speak from need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Contentment is a wonderful picture of sheep with a shepherd. Rather, or better yet, sheep with the shepherd at his hand, by his death and resurrection. Our spiritual needs are met. We are justified by grace through faith in him. And knowing this, we trust our physical needs into his hands as well, knowing we have a loving Savior. Jesus meets our needs of body and soul. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds and faith through Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.